This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Good afternoon, Austin. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're live in the capital city. We've got a really, really fun show for you today. It's another edition of Texas versus the World. And this is where a recurring show where we we take a category of Texas wine. And uh, the Texas Wine Journal has been dedicated uh, through the efforts of Daniel Collada and the panelists of the show of the uh, of the journal to rate wines blind. And then we uh, take the top scoring wine in the category, and today is dry rosé, and we put it up against some wines from uh, uh, around the world to see how Texas matches up. And uh, you know, all of the advice and the the the, the feedback from the producer from the uh, panelists go right back to the producer. So hopefully, the industry is getting better and better. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after these uh, this little groovy riff. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, so we're going to be talking about wine uh, for a full hour. And this, the, the, the subject of today's show is going to be dry rosé. We've actually been featuring dry rosé on the show for a few weeks now just because it's so hot in Texas and rosé just works so well in the heat. And uh, it just makes me salivate. I've got uh, a full full room of guests I've got out in the lobby Duncan McNabb and Doug Lewis, who are uh, owners and winemakers of Lewis Cellars, and they, they are, uh, they're going to be tasting wines blind. And I've got uh, John Gerber, who is, works for DNE, a local distributor, a, a, a pretty big and, and uh, an amazing distributor. They do a lot of the uh, supplying of wine to restaurants and retailers. And we've also got Julia Dixon, who is wine buyer at Perlas. So guys, uh, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, John, how you doing, man? Living the dream. Happy to be here. Thank you very much. Awesome. And uh, Julia, welcome. Welcome welcome to Co-op and welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I want to I want to start off while the guys are out there they're tasting before we get into the blind tasting. I want to talk a little bit about the category of rosé and both of you see the industry from different from different standpoints. John, you you uh, supply wine to the restaurants and 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 uh, retail shops and so what do you see where is rosé right now and and you have quite a bit of history. How how long have you been in the industry? Uh, 20 years this year. 20 years. Congratulations. Wow. Thanks. So, um, <laughs> so, so what, do you see, uh, what do you see happening with rosé as a category? Well, I think those of us in the industry have uh, really appreciated it for a long, long time. And yeah. I've been waiting for it to really catch on. Um, and I think this year it actually has. So we're seeing a lot more in the marketplace than we ever have before. And our distribution network is 
is really pushing it out there, and, and it seems to be right. pull, pulling through. So well received. People have, uh, have finally gotten it, and it's, it's just the perfect wine for Texas, Texas right. heat, yeah. Texas foods, and it just, it just makes sense. So, and what do you think is driving that? Do you think it's, um, do you think it's the restaurant buyers that are, that are uh, taking a stance and saying this goes really well on the patio and with our food? Do you think it's the public um, really, really asking for it? Um, you think it's the trend centers? Uh, it, a little bit well, of Austin is definitely a trend center, right, right. Um, and places like Perla is, are the perfect places to uh, to enjoy yeah, a nice, yeah. nice rosé. We're definitely seeing uh, some some education uh, and and marketing on a national level right. as well. So, so, and then do you see like you know rosé as a category is really hot? Are folks are folks compartmentalizing are they saying hey well i like rosé from provence or i like rosé from spain are we are we there yet because i feel like that's the evolution of the industry right yeah i think the french uh, are definitely leading um especially with the uh, the sparkling category as well right. um but uh you know uh, spain italy uh, they've all got wonderful options too so right right um it's yeah. Julia, let me bring you in here. And, and so you're on the kind of the front lines and you, you see what it's like. So, you, so you're at Perla's, um, you're buying wine for them, probably in, in a little bit of a, a unison with June. Is, is that a, So tell us about Perla's, first of all, and we'll go from there. So Perla's is one of MMH group restaurants and we have wonderful beverage team. Yeah. Um, June Rodel leads the beverage team. Right. She's a great example and wonderful... Um, wine professional. She's a master sommelier, and there's always something to learn from her. Right, right. Um, so Perlis... And she floats around all the locations in, in, in the restaurant group, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, she does. She sets the example. Okay. <laughs> and so then you come in, and, and for Perlis, you, yeah, what is your role there? So I meet with uh, suppliers of Austin with Taste Wines, and yeah. uh, you know, then we together decide what to bring on board and how to explain it to our staff and right. taste it with them yeah. in terms of um, customer and um, server interaction right, and right. make a success for the supplier, the winemaker, so, and the so, wine. Yeah, so do you see, so first of all, how, how many, you know, you probably see that rosé is incredibly hot right now. How, how many rosés do you have on the menu? Well, we have a um, good selection, yeah. around 10 different styles of rosé, right. including sparkling rosé. It's right. our top-selling category. Yeah. You just can't get enough. It's perfect wine for Texas weather. Right, right. It's kind of just a perfect wine for everyone who likes wine. You can decide white or red for this evening you go for a rosé right. and then from depending on what style you like or what food you're planning to have with this wine right we've got that particular style of rosé to go with it yeah so so you see so you see a, a broad stylistic difference between the different rosés and and is that something that you really maneuver when you're when you're kind of making decisions what rosé to carry like you know hey I, i've got something that's a little bit more full-bodied and and i've got something also that's a little bit more lighter and delicate Oh, yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. It just depends on the mood of the person, what style they prefer. Yeah. We're trying to be very selective and personal with our guests. And I think to find the right wine for the right person makes my job worth it. Right, and uh, right. that's what we do. <laughs> and we have a lot of happy guests who come back and maybe want a different style. Right. And then we offer it to them, of course. Yeah. And so do you get that still? You know, we were kind of talking before the show about... Um, are people past the, oh, it's rosé, it's sweet, it's pink? Um, are, are we past that sweetness perception that you're seeing on the, uh, on, on the, the restaurant level? 
I would definitely say so. I yeah. think rosé is in a lot of people's minds it's very versatile wine right. versus sweet wine now and the numbers speak for itself. And right. Also, to be a little bit more open-minded and say it's okay to like sweet wines yeah, yeah. and it's okay to enjoy sweet rosé, right. which we also offer. Right. So they're to each their own. So is there, you know, John, I might, I might uh, ask you this. Is there a situation where sweetness might be an advantage in the rosé or, or is it kind of like bone dry all the time, all day? Uh, sweetness definitely has its place and it's sure. uh, what has brought a lot of current drinkers into uh, modern day uh, rosé styles. Uh, you know, the Behringer White Zinfandel of right. old is kind of morphed into uh, a love for a Moscato. Right. Um, and that's yeah. kind of leading people to uh, other lighter, crisper wines. You know, I think as you get older, you develop less of a, of a taste for the sweet stuff. Right. So uh, as your palate develops, you Unless you're the still drinking a lot of Coca-Cola on a daily basis. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, why don't I, what's, what's your favorite rosé region? So we're, we're about to get into um, blind tasting rosé from around the world. So mm-hmm. we've got, we've got rosé from Spain. We've got rosé from France. We've got rosé from Texas, of course. Um, what are some of your go-tos and your favorites and, and why? I think the Southern French yeah. uh, wines have really come along for me. Right. Um, uh, Rhone varietals, particularly, you get a you get a true expression, or somewhat of a true expression of the grapes. Um, a lot of white pepper, yeah, um, to go along with some of that nice acidity, right? Um, and it just you know creates that salivation that you need for appetizers and right. sit around the pool, like you know, yeah, yeah, like we do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, but you are. I want to touch on this this point of sometimes it gets hard to differentiate some rosés i mean you know is that kind of a lack of character from the region or is it just you know the fact that the way that they're making it and uh i think it's i think it's more the way they're making it you know like like i was saying out there when we were tasting that um sometimes they become a little bit one-dimensional it's hard to pull out uh, exact flavors and aromas um but depends on how long the skins are in contact yeah yeah Uh, depends on the grape varietal it depends on the region i mean it's right a lot of different things but i I like uh, southern france uh, Provence specifically, you're getting a lot more uh, floral aspects, and it just seems to right. create a more enjoyable glass of wine. Awesome, Julia. What's 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 some of your uh, favorite regions? To I have to say, um, Champagne. I like uh, ah. Champagne uh, rosés. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, they can show rosé in a different category as far as um, ageability, right, and complexity. Something that you're not going to think that immediately when you say you've been told rosé. Yeah. Yeah. And, Although um, I will say, you know, this is very interesting because I've even had guests on who say rosé can never be made via blending red wine and white wine. It all has to come from skin care. Except but for champagne. Except region. in champagne, yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's interesting that, it, that that's kind of your go-to because it, it, it is done in a totally different way, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Well, um, we are here to blind taste uh, Texas wines versus um, versus. So we have one Texas wine put in a lineup of six wines from around the world. Uh, we're about to bring in the rest of our guests and um, and and really dig into the wines. You can follow along. So I've posted a picture on the blog koop.org. And uh, you can follow along. The, my guests have not seen the wines. They have not seen uh, what brands. Uh, they pretty much just know that they're rosé, um, and they know that there's from, they're from all around the world. And so we're going to have fun kind of dissecting these wines and seeing where they come from. Uh, so, so go to the 
go to the blog, koop.org, and you can see the lineup of wines. We are going to take a short break, and uh, and we'll be right back. We're going to hear, um, you know, we, we lost Ralph Stanley, and, and I'm going to play uh, a, a song from him that, that just... His music has always touched, you know, me in a place that is just, it's really hard to define. And, and I th- think that so much music, uh, you know, does that to you. And, and we have such great music shows on here on co-op. But I think that wine also has the ability to do that and uh, to inspire you. And so this is a little homage to, uh, to Ralph Stanley here. All right, we're back. That was, that was wonderful. I really... I really enjoyed that by Ralph Stanley. And um, okay, our group is full that we're who we're going to be talking to today. Uh, new to the to the uh, to the lineup here in the studio is uh, Doug Lewis and Duncan McNabb, who are uh, owners and winemakers of Lewis Cellars in. Um, where are you guys Johnson based out of? in Johnson City? Right, right. I've been out there, and uh, and it's wonderful. But towns blend together. So, so guys, thank you for being on the show, and thanks for tasting through those wines really quickly. Um, just if you're just tuning in, my name is Mark Rayshep. This is another bottle down. We talk about wine for a whole hour every week. Uh, I can't believe that there's so many things that we discuss, but I just have no problem finding topics in the world of wine. Um, and so, so, so today is all about rosé. We've been featuring a lot of rosé on the show just because it's that time of year and, and it's super hot right now. So you guys come from a different perspective and that is why I love doing this because you guys come from the winemaking perspective. Uh, Doug, maybe I can start with you and, and, uh, have you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, maybe making rosé in Texas. What's, what, what's kind of the story? Is it easy? Is it hard? What, what are the challenges? Yeah. Um, okay, I, I feel like rosé is a um, a great thing to produce in Texas. I feel like we have a lot of advantages with respect to making good rosé in Texas. Right, yeah, um, there are also some some pretty big challenges. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll go over the the advantages first. <laughs> sure, I, I sure. Think Start the, with the good, you know. <laughs> the the minerality uh, that we get from our our soils, <clears throat> having limestone and granite, um, you know, older soils that really really shows up in the wine. And then the way grapes ripen in Texas, you know, the at, at more moderate alcohol levels also kind of creates a, a wine that, you know, I think is more balanced as rosé. So you're, you're harvesting it a little bit earlier um, than you would for, for regular wine, red wine production? Generally speaking, yes. It depends on where the fruit's being sourced. In the, in the hill country, in some vintages, you know, the, the riper the better because we're still talking about 12 or 13% alcohol. Right. Um, in the high plains where we have a little bit cooler nights and a, and a longer growing season, it's there where we really, you know, would pick a little bit earlier if, if the rosé was for specific or the fruit was specifically for rosé. Okay, cool. Um, D- Duncan, maybe I can have you talk about what rosés you make at, at uh, Lewis Cellars and, and kind of what, what the thought is behind that. Yeah, so mainly we, uh, the uh, rosés that we work with and deal with are usually made out of Mavedra. We also work with a little bit of Senso, but the way that we make them is a whole cluster pressing them. So we're pretty much treating the red varieties as a white variety. Uh, as soon as they come off the vine, we take them straight to the press and uh, we press them out, which usually gives them a little bit lighter and you know brighter color. Right, right. And, and you are specifically, what's the dance about finding vineyard sourcing that you think will go into rosé as opposed to red wine is that is that sort of a is that a, a big strategic sort of thing that you have at lewis wines or is it is uh, definitely yeah. uh, specifically uh the the vineyards that we're coming from 
you know, especially in the hill country, has that a lot of minerality that which Doug was uh, referring to. Right. Um, especially in the you know up in the high plains where we get a lot of our sinso from, uh, you get a lot more fruit components there, uh, and then getting that sugar up a little bit more in those alcohols. But um, you know, when we make like a high plains blend or something like that, you know, where we're sourcing from uh, mainly up there. You know, it's nice to get a little bit of that minerality that's coming out of the hill country as well. So depending right. on where we're sourcing the fruit from, really kind of tends to lean our hand one way or the other. Okay. You know, as far as that goes. Very cool. What do you think, you know, I know that I'm pretty sure that you guys do some vineyard designated, uh, you know, where you'll actually see the vineyard on the bottle. Yes, um, you know, how important do you guys think that is? I mean, you're, you're, you try and acknowledge the vineyard when you can, right? Doug? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, especially for our, our single vineyard rosés, I, th- I think the vineyard is everything. It has a lot to do with the vineyard's location. Um, we just re- released uh, a more vegetable rosé that was sourced from a grower in Mason. And, you know, Mason has cooler nights than the eastern side of the hill country, so we get a little bit more hang time over there right. um, relative to the hill country, which is still still a shorter growing season. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the hill country really, for making single vineyard uh, rosés, we're really trying to highlight that specific place and, and that grape. Um, it's, it's almost easier because all of the fruit we get in the hill country is handpicked. Yeah. And, uh, the way we like to make rosé, as Duncan was describing, was straight to the press and as, you know, minimal skin contact as possible. Right. And to do that in the high plains, um, where the vineyards are much larger and there's not as much available hand labor, right. logistically is really challenging. So, um, primarily most of the, the... So does that mean that you're, you're just, you're trying to bring, bring the grapes into the winery just as quick as possible? I mean, that, that really big rush? Well, it, it, yeah, generally the, the faster, the better in <laughs> harvest, you know, just cause of how hot it is outside. But, um, you know, with, with, uh, machine pick fruit in the high plains, you know, the faster to the press, the better, because you really are picking up color and, and fruit, uh, as that, as that fruit is macerating on the way to the press. Right. Whereas when you have hand picked fruit, you really don't have that same level of, of maceration and. Yeah. So, so, so when folks see this, you know, your, your, uh, very pale, uh, you know, rosé Provence style, we could maybe say how many hours do, I mean, is it really directly just into the press and all of the color is just from that time? Or do you give it like a, just a, a little, I'm trying to give folks out there listening kind of a, a gauge. Is it two hours, four hours, or, you know, what, what do you guys normally see? Um, depending on where the which vineyard it's coming okay. from, like it actually you know has to transport from that vineyard to our you know winery where we actually press it off. So uh, as we were talking, Doug was saying about Mason where we did a you know par par vineyard right. rosé. You know you're looking at probably you know from the time you pick it maybe two to three hours from you know the vineyard site to the winery. Yeah. Um, you know it's a little bit different up in the high plains. You know they're about five six hours away. So if we can find a press up there where we can press it right away. Uh, the better. Uh, you know? so, 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 so you'll kind of just hop on in a, in a, in somebody else's winery or maybe tr- a facility. We, we try yeah. to, if logistically oh, cool. it works out. So yeah. there, there's a lot of good friends here. So, yeah. Well, we had, uh, I had on Ray Wilson last week uh, and uh, who, who's making her dandy rosé and he, she was giving uh, a lot of kudos to you and, and props to you guys for, for being a nexus in the industry and really trying to work uh, as a whole to, to make things better. So yeah, <laughs> very cool. Um, all right. We're going to get into, before we get into the wine, t- the, the blind tasting and, and you can go on and see which wines these folks have blind tasted beforehand uh, on the co-op blog koop.org um, but uh, first Julia has uh, wants to kind of highlight something very special because uh, you know this time of year we see so many rosé festivals and so many innovative
innovative things uh, that are being done with this category of wine. And it's something that, that I love to do is to highlight unique experiences. I mean, wine is about experiences. It's sensorial. It's, you know, it's inspiring. And so what is this cool thing that, that, that you are being a part of? I've been working in collaboration with a local artist, Mila Sketch, and she's working on putting together an art exhibition. Okay. It's going to be all dedicated to wine, so each particular artwork will speak of a wine theme, and we're going to... Yeah, Julia, get on up, on, up to the mic there. Yeah, okay. There you go. <laughs> so it's going to be dedicated to wine, 100%. Yeah. Each artwork will speak about several, several topics in the so, wine world. So you're Texas almost wine as well. So you're pairing art and wine, essentially, or is it just, uh, is it just kind of a, a medley of, of emotions? <laughs> so it's going to have great wine tasting along with it, okay. featuring some Texas wines. Okay, wonderful. International wines. The idea is to bring art and wine community locally and internationally together right right and then this event and it will take place at the art for the people gallery art for the people gallery it's and a local gallery and just stay tuned for more information yeah, just stay tuned milosketch.com okay. or artforthepeople.com artforthepeople.com very cool and you guys i think that you're involved with a rosé sort of a festival out in the hill country with william chris is that true mm-hmm. yeah that that's correct um it's not a uh, not this Sunday, but the Sunday after. It's oh, the very cool. Texas Wine Revolution, which is a, a rosé-only festival at William Chris Vineyards where um, all of the rosés featured are from 100% Texas grapes and from producers that are very, very proud of, of making wines that way. So I think if you're into Texas rosé, yeah, a great opportunity. I, to see I, I love that, and I love the, the idea of the revolution because, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there, there's just a, a lot of in, intense emotions that go around with produce and pride that goes behind producing Texas-only fruit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, let's let's get into the blind tasting. So uh, if you folks are tuning in, uh, my guests have, uh, and again, we're with Doug Lewis and Duncan McNabb. They are owners, winemakers of Lewis Winery, uh, Lewis Wines. And then we have Julia Dixon, who is the wine buyer at Perla's, uh, and that's on South Congress. And we have um, John Gerber, who is... Um, your your official title it's something fancy john it's it's a it's, it's long. director of <laughs> director of wine and spirits on premise at glaciers dne so uh, again i thank you all for being with me let's so so um you know what was the first wine so um you know just i just want like some impressions john you want to start us off what when you got it in the glass what what was it looking like uh notice the color was super light super uh, light yeah almost like a white wine um just some some very slight hues of, of pink in there. Yeah, and, and Molly Chesney, actually, our um, volunteer coordinator, she was like, that's not rosé, that's white wine. Almost, almost. <laughs> so it had that, that just that tinge. Um, did, did, was it that light on the, on the, on the nose as well? Uh, all I got really were some rose petal uh, aspects. Um, it was really hard to kind of pull some things out of there. It was it was very delightful, but uh, delightful, but but um, but very neutral almost. Almost. Yeah, Julia, what did you think? Well, um, I adored the color. It's very yeah. pale, pink onion skin. It's hard to get in wine. You don't see it very often, so I love that. And the pink aromas, onion skin. Yeah, it's wonderful. Very <laughs> delicate aromas of uh, white flowers, some white peach, white raspberries. So the fruits are there. They're just very tuned down and beautiful in that pretty form um, definitely has some fresh um, savory note of some white flowers as well yeah yeah and uh, on the palate it has a lot more fruit than on the nose yeah. you actually get uh, fresh strawberry peach and um, I love the finish of the wine yeah. the finish is very pleasant 
It leaves this freshness in your mouth. It's asking for some light food. Right. I think the gazpacho called tomato soup that you would want to have in the summer with right. some chilled blue crab would be a perfect pairing yeah. with this wine. Cool. So I did like that wine a lot. All right, great, great. Uh, Duncan, can can I, uh, you know, you're smiling here. Uh, I know that you only had, so Duncan and, and, and Doug only got uh, a few minutes with, with each wine, so uh, we'll be, you know, we'll just root them on. What, what, did, you, what did you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, immediately I noticed the color as well. You right. know, it reminded me of a whole cluster press wines that we do and deal with so i really really like that you know yeah. kind of uh, brightness to it as well um i'm totally with you i got the undertones of that you know fruit that stone fruit you know definitely on the palate and i, I like the acid that was uh, along with that it kind of made it really nice night and nice and crisp and the finish as well like you said was you know spot on right so i think I, it's like very very approachable on so many different levels right so so i love talking with winemakers you know and this will be kind of a thread because um you know your 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 gauges for certain characteristics in the wine are you know because you taste for that sort of thing you're tasting fruit you know the grape berries for that and and so you know certainly to me that that acidic you know really fresh pop mm. really came out doug what do you think um, well, just to kind of reiterate what the what everybody else has said, you know, I thought it was super light in color and, and very, very delicate or, or you know, uh, light rosé wine relative to a lot of others. I, I felt like it was uh, maybe more nuanced and, and less of, you know, in your face trying to create a big impression. What did you think about the texture? So, I, you know, I think that as we are talking about rosés, for me, such important things to kind of be gauging is, you know, that, um, that bright acidity and also, you know, texture and, and, uh, that, that's one of the, you know, these really delicate rosés can have almost a really creamy texture. Did, did that stand out, um, to you or, or, you know? Yeah. I mean, to me it was, it was, uh, like John described it, the wine was just really, really soft. You almost had to go searching for it. And, right. and with respect to texture tannins, you know, I didn't get much of a structure at all off of that wine. I felt like, um, they didn't even turn the press on very hard, if I had to guess. <laughs> very cool. Um, pleasant, you know, Doug, did you think, uh, so pleasant, right? Yeah. Although not outstanding. <laughs> all right. It's all preference. Yes, it's of all course. Preference. Of course. Um, all right. So, um, you know, Julia, maybe I'll, I'll start with you for wine number two and, uh, you know, and, and again, folks out there listening can follow along koop.org slash blog. So the wine number two was also pale in color, but more pink pale in color for sure. You can see that it is a rosé. Right. You don't have to second guess yourself. And <laughs> yeah. It's a little more savory, more intense aromatically compared to the wine number one. You get this a hint of um, the ripe red bell pepper in the wine that okay. kind of stood out to me at first. And then also a lot of citrus, but ripe citrus. You get Maya lemon strawberry has amazing mouthfeel yeah. it's very soft almost glyceric mouthfeel it's very pleasant so great texture on this wine it's asking for food i would pair it with uh, burrata melon salad with maybe a touch of spice to it something refreshing <laughs> yummy creamy <laughs> and cold for the summer yeah i hope everybody out there is just getting hungry and, and salivating <laughs> listening to this <laughs> duncan what do what, you think um i thought this one was a great one as well you know i noticed the color right away you know as it was you know she referred to as a little bit you know of, of more pinkish hue Right. Um, maybe I saw a little bit more of a stronger 
press or you know maybe a little bit of extra time on the skins too could it be there. variety too yeah definitely variety has a okay. lot to play in there yeah um i really love the uh, the mid palette on this one like yeah. she said very creamy very pleasant uh very approachable and uh the finish as well um especially compared to the last one it had a little bit more depth yeah um you know that i really think you know could go a long way as far as like pairing with foods and stuff yeah would you almost um you know i know that with all wines, you almost just appreciate it as a snapshot in time. You know, could you see this one evolving a little bit and maybe getting uh, more interesting as it warms up as well? I mean, I definitely think so. Yeah, um, okay. You know, I only got a snapshot, like you said, a couple minutes with it. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I definitely think like the more it opened up in the glass, especially uh, aromatically, you know, my first inclination was like, you know, it was kind of a little straightforward, kind of like the first one right, a little right. bit where the, you know, you really had to go searching for those tones. But, you know, as it kind of opened up and I took my second and third, you know, kind of look at it, definitely see it kind of evolving. Yeah, very cool. Doug, what'd you think? Um, you know, I'd, I'd like take a, a stab in the dark It say it like it reminds me of like a Cab Franc Rosé. Okay. I, I felt like from a texture standpoint, um, there was, uh, quite, a, quite a bit there. Um, like, like you're saying, I think this wine could actually develop some in the bottle. Right. Um, it's may have, maybe has some more, uh, life and, and developing to do. I think with respect to the aromatics, you know, the pepper was right on. I, I noticed that right out of the gate, which is what made me think Cab Franc or, I think I wrote down on my paper, probably a Bordeaux variety. Okay. So. <laughs> and those Bordeaux varieties, Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot, Cab Franc, and Petit Verdot Malbec. Um, Carmenere. And Carmenere, too. And, and Carmenere can have that, that, that kind of uh, peppery spice, too. So, okay, so that, that puts you into, so, so good, good stab in the dark. Although, folks will have to stay tuned to, to get the final reveal. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Uh, John, what, what, what did you think? Uh, the color was definitely darker. Uh, I, I would call it more of a salmon uh, color. Um, I, I definitely noticed some earthy notes yeah. uh, up front, followed with uh, some nice, uh, I got some strawberry okay. out of there. I uh, thought also in the, in the palate I got some sea salt okay. uh, in the corners of my mouth and some minerality, which was uh, quite refreshing too. So. Does, does, does that lead you anywhere? Does that, does that lead you to any region in particular or just hard to say again? It's hard to say. Old, yeah. wor- old world for sure. I okay. Think. All right. And just to remind folks out there, I mean, this is incredibly difficult task to, um, you know, to blind taste. And I think we're having fun with it. And and um, and and what is my philosophy is no no judgment and just to have fun with wine. We are going to take a very short break to hear from some uh, underwriters here and um, J&J, local uh, East Austin uh, liquor store wine shop. So we're going to hear from them and we'll be right back with our uh, panelists. Support for Co-op comes from J&J Spirits on East 11th Street. Family-owned since 1968, J&J offers hand-selected artisanal wines, local beers, and boutique whiskeys and spirits, all with a neighborhood vibe. Open 11 to 9 and offering delivery. For more information, visit jnjspirits.com. Okay, we're back. Thank you so much for st- for tuning in. It's KOOP Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM and koop.org. Uh, my name is Mark Rayshap. I uh, am your host every week, every Tuesday from 1 to 2 to talk about wine. I really try and dig into the stories of wine professionals, winemakers that are coming through town, local Texas winemakers, and uh, I have a whole lot of fun. So thank you for for supporting uh, Co-op and and this show as well. So uh, again, if you 
you're just tuning in, we are with the four panelists, or rather two panelists from the Texas Wine Journal, and then we always try and bring in local winemakers. So we are, uh, we have Doug Lewis and Duncan McNabb from Lewis Wines, and we have John Gerber uh, from DE Glaciers, who is a distributor in town, and we have Julia Dixon, who is a wine buyer and lead sommelier at uh, Perla's on South Congress. So, um, and what we're doing is we, we've blind tasted six wines, all dry rosés. There's one Texas wine, and uh, and then the rest are from all around the world. There's some from France. There's a Spanish ro- rosé. There's an Argentinian rosé, uh, and a few others. I'm not giving every, any, everything away. So um, I do want to mention a little bit about what the, the Texas Wine Journal is all about. Uh, Daniel Collada is, um, is, is doing a really good job in organizing wine professionals to judge uh, and blind taste wines uh, in a very neutral and unbiased environment and to uh, be taking that feedback, compiling data and passing it back to the producers. Um, you can get more information at texaswinejournal.org on that. Um, okay, guys, we are uh, we're back in here with um, Duncan. I'll start you off. So we, so we did wines one and two and now we're on to wine number three. All right. So uh, with this one, uh, immediately notice the color difference between the first two. Um, this one definitely had a dark, uh, you know, pinker hue that uh, kind of led me to believe that a, a good portion of it was Sanyade. Um, you know, T- can you can you describe what that is? Because that's that's a really technical term. Okay. So, <laughs> so what it basically has to do uh, deal with is um, you take and you come in, you crush and distem the red fruit, and you get it ready for fermentation. Then you actually bleed off a certain percentage of of that, and that's so you what, can pump out the juice exactly. that is uh, that is a certain color of pink. Right. And so it's having a little bit more skin to- uh, skin contact, seed contact. So it has a little bit more tans, a little bit more body. And so initially, like when I looked at this wine, this I was like, oh, this is what's going to have it a lot darker. Oh, yeah. definitely a lot darker. Yeah. And then. Um, as soon as you smell aromatically, that fruit just bursts out at you. You know, right. with lots of strawberries there, lots of red fruit, um, and so that's what you know. Very pleasant on the on the nose uh, as well. But you know, I like the um, you know, and definitely on the on the mid palate, uh, it's a little bit heavier than the first two. It's not so much acid driven, and I, I like the, the the finish there as well. You know, it had a long kind of drawn out finish that I thought you know could uh, go a long way. So, cool. Do you do you um, Doug? What do you think? Um, well, I'd agree with Duncan there that uh, I think it is much more uh, ripe and rounded and, and not quite as acid-driven. Um, probably was a Senye wine. The color would certainly lead you to believe so. Okay. Um, the way it drinks uh, with like how juiciness and fruit-forward it is without kind of some of the secondary characteristics that I look for in a lot of rosé makes me think that it's probably uh, a New World rosé from a region that produces more red wine than they do rosé okay um you know again i would say it was younger, almost more on the spectrum of the, of the red wine and, uh, than yeah. the, the, the rosé yeah so. and then I, I don't get that same pronounced minerality that i got like in number two which makes okay. me think that this is new world you know younger soils um right very difficult topic here new world old world uh, we could be talking about that for a long time because sometimes it'll fool you too but um john what do you think uh, I thought it was great. The color I would describe as watermelon juice. It yeah, was yeah, just yeah. that bright and, and deep, dark pink. Um, I got some tropical notes out of there. I got a little tobacco okay. uh, also and some white pepper, Yeah, um, which makes me kind of think it's it's uh, old world. Okay, maybe, maybe southern France could be Spanish. Okay. Um, something like that. But yeah. the minerality was, was quite refreshing again, too. Okay, very cool. Julia, what would you think? So definitely a fruit-driven rosé. Um, 
I have to add that all the red fruit were there, but also orange fruit. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And I, I had some sweet tangerine, mandarin in there with flavors, but also ripe watermelon, ripe strawberry. Very intense in flavor in a good way, so this wine can stand uh, or go together with a lot of uh, heavily seasoned foods. Okay. Like uh, wood wood grilled oysters with some bits of bacon and parmesan, maybe a touch of Tabasco. So that's uh, that's wine. This is the wine that will go for white and red drinkers that can't decide what to drink this okay. evening. So All right. you should go for that. Very cool. Very <laughs> cool. Um, so so you know, just can we say that the more color, the more body that the wine has, the richer food it might uh, take to? Yeah, usually it will show more extraction, like we were talking about earlier with Dustin. So definitely more f- food that is richer in flavor. Right, right, right. Okay, great. We are, uh, we've got about 20 minutes left, so we're, um, we're kind of trucking along here. Um, so we're on to wine number four. And, and Doug, can, can I have you start us off here? Um, what, the, the first thing I noticed was kind of the, the color drop off. Uh, it seemed like, you know, the color on this wine was, was very similar to the first wine, um, which kind of threw me for a curveball going to from a, a heavier, more full-bodied rosé back right, to right, a, a right. lighter, more delicate one. Um, that being said, you know, if I, if I had to guess, uh, just by the way kind of the aromatics were coming off, I would think it would be a cool climate uh, rosé. Right. Um, and again, you know, sometimes you see that, that lack of color in places where, you know, red grapes aren't getting quite as ripe when they're picking them to make rosé. So yeah, yeah. that would be my guess. Okay, interesting. Cool. John, what do you think? Uh, bright salmon, uh, lightly pink. Uh, this wine gave me more than any of the others. I found it very herbaceous. Yeah. Got some great pepper. Uh, I was smelling like uh, artichokes, some, some asparagus-y sort of things. And I also got some olive brine out of there, too, which oh, I, wow. I thought was really cool. But um, the, the flavor uh, was a lot of white pepper. And I, I got a little hint of uh, circus peanut. Circus which is peanut. one of my favorite candies from a kid, you know, it's that orange foamy right. uh, candy that you, I used to eat the, the crap out of that one. But, uh, <laughs> so the, um, the, yeah, I, I love it. Uh, Julia, what, what, do you, what do you think? So this is a Van Gris style rosé for me. It was very well balanced, very fresh, fruity, but uh, had great um, finish to this wine and can probably stand uh, to something that is spiced, but not in terms of being hot spicy so i would pair it with grilled octopus and papas bravas and touch of paprika yeah so and and that spiciness came, yeah that spiciness came from from that uh, you know you almost pair the paprika with the with the with the peppery spice of the wine exactly yes. yeah yeah duncan what do you think um you know going back is very similar to you know the first wine like doug uh, doug had mentioned but i also think it had some similarities what john was talking about in wine number two with it i think it had some minerality going on there right. um i like that the acid in it as well i thought it showed really good balance as julia said and uh, i like the complexity i thought it had some good depth it kind of made you think a little bit more about it um and so i i really really thought that and i thought the fruit you know they had some good soft notes there and uh, it'd be a fun wine to drink you know day in and day out yeah so the the um you know, I want to kind of touch on, and, and for both Duncan and Doug, who, who make wine, that hard-to-pinpoint uh, complexity topic, you know. Do you find that, um, 
you know, how do you kind of think about that? And, and from a winemaking standpoint, is it, you know, all about sourcing interesting vineyards? Is it about, you know, decisions that you make in the winery? I mean, because I think also for folks out there listening, complexity is, is a hard thing to grasp because it's not just one thing, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's a mixture of a lot of things, what they do in the vineyard as well as what we do in the winery, different practices. Um, and usually when I talk about complexity, you know, an analogy that I give to a lot of people is like drinking wine is like reading a book. Right. And so like this one has, you know, it's more of like a in-depth novel, you know, compared to, you know, even say the, the first or the third one, you know, it has a lot more going on to it. So you have to reach for the fruit, those minerals, um, you know, and some of those notes that kind of make you think a little bit more about it. Right. So, so yeah. 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 D- Doug, do you think about that? You know, is it, do, do you kind of like feel like drinking a more kind of complex wine at some times and, and, and something more straightforward at others? Um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can, you can say no. I, I mean, I generally speaking, I, I find wines that, uh, are more thought provoking, just more interesting. Right. Um, you know, wines that are more fruit forward and kind of a little more simplistic. I, you know, I, I don't enjoy as much, but that's just my own preference. Sure. Sure. Okay, great. We got to, um, we are, uh, on wine number five. Uh, John, you want to start us off? We've come full circle here. Yeah, totally. Uh, again, uh, with the watermelon juice, sort of a color, uh, really deep, uh, deeper, darker. I got uh, aromas of apricots and some nice dried fruit here. Yeah. Uh, I found the finish to be a little bitter. Daniel and I were talking about that. Um, uh, but there's some rhubarb, some white pepper notes again. Uh, I thought the acidity was kind of medium. Okay. Um, but there were some tannins in there too. That so that color and the refreshing. tannin and maybe the lower acidity, would that point you in a particular direction? Hard to say again. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Julia, what do you think? So I got tart cherry and uh, raspberry in this full-bodied rosé. Yeah. It was quite hot. So I would place it in New World for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's very So hot shorty. is, for folks listening out there, it's that kind of sensation of alcohol, you know, yeah. really, really High burning. Alcohol. High alcohol. Yeah. So, but in terms of food pairing, this one is screaming for food. I think yeah. it has to have food. So a strawberry salad with... Fresh chevre goat cheese and some grilled chicken on it. Yeah, would be okay. good. Cool combination. Duncan, what do you think? Uh, I'm on the same lines as Julia. I think like really the fruit is uh, dominating this one. Very fruit forward, um, both aromatically and on the finish. It's definitely a heavier mid palate. Kind of reminded me a lot of uh, number three as well. Um, so yeah. Cool, cool. Doug, what do you, what do you think? Um, I, I agree with him that that you know much more body. Um, I think that stylistically like it would make you think it's a new world wine but there's some ways like a little bit of the finish made me also think that it was european okay uh, given by like a couple people's descriptors of like riper and dried fruit profiles and higher sugar body makes me think it came from a relatively hot place like if i was guessing i'd say i think this is a garnacha rosé yeah. garnacha spain yeah so, so you get more of that riper in the in, in, in Spain and, and also maybe in, you know, the south of Italy too, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe Canada now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is Garnacha for, um, so, um, okay, let's go on to number six and then we'll, uh, we'll take a short break and we'll do, uh, the reveal. So I'm pretty excited. Julia, what you want to start us off on the, uh, on, on the last wine, wine number yeah, six. So it's pink color with just a hint of copper in, in there. So I got fresh strawberry rhubarb, um, ripe apricot, some fresh herbs in this wine, pink flowers, very soft finish. It was balanced. Cool. So uh, I would pair it with grilled salmon. 
All in right. the Capri Salon. All right. That's, that sounds fun. You're really good at that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. by the way. That. I think we're all going to Perla. Yeah, right? no, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, and it's, it's mesmerizing, too. You're, you know, it's, 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 it's inspiring. Okay, Duncan, what do you think? Um, I really like this one as well. Uh, not quite as dark as in color as the uh, number five and number three uh, that we talked about, but I really thought there was a good balance, like both on the, the mid-palette and the finish. You know, I thought it showed uh, some good minerality there, along with the, like the fruit kind of coming through in the in, in the in the forefront cool cool doug uh i, I you know agree completely i thought it was uh, very well balanced um i really really just enjoyed the the fruit profile uh, aromatically and and on the palate i right. this wine you know makes me think it's more vegetarian rosé um i we we work with a lot of more vegetarian and there's right. a lot of characteristics about this wine that remind me of it yeah um, that being said, you know, it's blind tasting. I'm right, really, wrong. really hard. <laughs> and, and I actually know what the wines are, but, uh, so, you know, my impressions could be a little bit skewed, but, um, for me, this was one of the more neutral kind of just, uh, you know, not, not so exciting one way or another. Okay. This is really awesome. We've made it through the six wines with our, with our, uh, panelists here and winemakers. We have Doug Lewis and Duncan McNabb, who are owners and winemakers at Lewis Wines. We have Julia Dixon, who is wine buyer and, and lead sommelier at Perla's, and we have John Gerber, who is with uh, Glazier's d uh, local distribution. Um, and we are gonna take a short break, and we'll be right back to do the reveal and just to talk about final impressions. Want to get an old car, truck, or boat out of your driveway and help your community station at the same time? Call Co-op's Car Donation Program, and we'll take it off your hands. Benefits include free pickup of your vehicle and a tax receipt for your donation. Just call 877-750-KOOP and we'll take care of the rest. Once again, that's 877-750-KOOP or 877-750-5667 to help co-op today. Okay, we're back. This is the Texas versus the world edition of Another Bottle Down. It's co-op radio. It's radio for people and not for profit. Um, it's 91.7 FM and uh, KOOP.org. So we've been uh, we've been tasting rosé out in the lobby. We've tasted six rosés. One of them is from Texas, and uh, the rest are from elsewhere around the world. You can see what the actual wines are at our co-op blog, KOOP.org slash blog. So um, thank you guys so much for being here. This was, I think, a lot of fun. We try and do this maybe once a month, once every other month, taking really knowledgeable wine people, winemakers, and throwing, them, throw, throwing everybody together and blind tasting some wines. Um, I, I want to go around the room and just uh, ask you, you know, which one y'all thought were, was, the, uh, was the Texas wine? So who wants to jump in there? Who has a strong opinion? <laughs> I guess I'll lead off. I, sure. I would say, uh, based off some rosés, I've been trying this season, number one and number six, both kind of uh, remind me of things that have been made in the Hill Country uh, over this last last vintage. So Yeah, I mean, you've probably, you know, out in Johnson City, you've got... Um, your, your finger is really on the pulse of a lot of things going on out there. I mean, you're friends with a lot of folks. Um, etc. So you, I, I feel like, you know, you have a, a pretty good, do you feel like you have a pretty good perspective of the industry? Um, yeah, I, you know, uh, it's so funny now that <laughs> we're so, you know, when we, when we first started this, we had more free time and we, we felt like we had a good handle on everybody who made good stuff and, right. and tried to go see what everybody was doing and exchange ideas. And as we've gotten busier, that's become more challenging. So, 
it's like our what we have right. a pulse on is kind of narrowed down to like that high community and a couple right. other producers that are regularly around those meetings and stuff. And very cool, very cool. Duncan, what do you think? Um, I definitely uh, probably agree with Doug. I think number six is probably from Texas. That would be my my, my go to. Uh, number six there. would be your go to, but and and what what one was kind of your preferred, your favorite? Um, it's tough to say. I think wine has a time and a place, you know, right, especially right, right, with right. all the different food pairings that Julie was talking about. Yeah. I could see myself enjoying every single one of them, but if you really had to put like a, you know, make me pick a choice, I'd probably go with uh, either number one, probably oh, number one. Okay. Say it, say it, say it proud. Julia, what do you think? So I think wine number one is a Texas wine. Okay. Firstly, because just to make that statement that Texas wine can be delicate, can be food friendly complex, balanced, and light. And yeah. a lot of people think the opposite. When it comes to Texas Rosa, they would imagine something hot and maybe concentrated. So I think it's a well-made Texas Rosa would be my uh, Very pick cool. is wine number one. Okay, and, and was that your favorite of the bunch too? For the moment, okay. it's midday, it's hot. <laughs> it <might> I think <laughs> it would be really nice to enjoy. And yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. All right, John, what do you think? Uh, I'm torn between between uh, wine number four and wine number one. Actually, um, wine four was my favorite. Um, wine four was your favorite. Okay. I think I think number one might be the Texas. Um, it is very light, but also you know around here we don't get much hang time, so uh, just having a minimal amount of skin contact right. would, uh, would right kind of make me think that. All right. For some odd reason. <laughs> All right, guys, you, you've heard it here. I think we've had we've had a lot of fun doing this, um, and uh, and I'm going to do the reveal. So, uh, and I'd love to hear any comments. If you uh, have any feedback back for the show, uh, send me an email or post it to the the Facebook page. It's another facebook.com slash another bottle down radio, uh, and uh, Mark Rayshap at coop.org uh, if you want to get in touch with me. Okay, guys. Um, so really, really good. Uh, wine number one was in. In fact, the Texas Rosé. Uh, nice. Yeah, really, really, really well done, guys. And and so and we sh- we do need to say so it's uh, Tatum Cellars and it's 2015 uh, Rosé. So um, very very cool. It's delicious. Yeah, I, I, I was really 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 impressed by that. So and, and then we have uh, wine number two. Um, you know, really really good comments. That was actually from Bandol, which is in the south of France. Uh, and that is, I think, Doug, you said that it was Morved. Uh, maybe you said maybe that was from a different one. I think that there was just some really good comments uh, just nailing that. And uh, and so for it to be Bandol Rosé, it has to be at least 30% Morved. Um, and, uh, okay, excellent. Wine number three is Spanish. I mean, that, I think, John, you nailed that one. Uh, darker color. <laughs> uh, and that is Marques de Cáceres. Um and that is, uh, so Marques de Cáceres, which is in Rioja. And that was wine number three. Wine number four uh, was, in fact, from Provence. So really, really good around there as well. And that was um, Beeler Père et Fils. So that's the Charles Beeler Rosé. Uh, from, And that's a Cote de Provence. Uh, I don't know. It's probably Grenache. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know the exact breakdown of grape varieties, but it's probably Grenache, Morved, Syrah, something like that. Okay, the uh, wine number five was the uh, was a rosé of Malbec from uh, from Argentina, and it was it's a Crios, which is made by Susana Balbo. So that's really interesting. And then the final wine uh, was from South Africa, 
and that is um, the Goats Do Rome. And you can see a picture of all of the wines, the various colors. It's really, really cool on the co-op blog, koop.org slash blog. Uh, that, I think, is uh, Morved as well. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, Morved and Grenache, I'm not, I'm not totally sure 100%. But, um, guys, impressions, I think really well done. Yeah. yeah. Any surprises? I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm glad that, that, that there was a, a good consensus on, on the Texas Rosé and that you all really liked it, too. Any surprises? I mean, the, 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 the Spanish wine. I want to pick out uh, something that, you know, Doug, that you had said on the, you know, the, the um, it being perhaps Cabernet Franc, because I got that really, really peppery, um, peppery quality to that wine too, which I totally would have guessed Cabernet Franc on that. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't really seen that in, in Morvedra that we work with. Um, those kind of pronounced, you know, pepper or piercing related aromatics, you know, usually in Texas, you're finding that on Bordeaux varieties. Right. Right. Um, right. Morved tends to get a little riper than that. So yeah, threw me for a curveball. Super, super. Well, great. I'm, uh, you know, I really, really, uh, enjoyed this and I hope that you did as well listening out there. Uh, guys, Doug and Duncan, can I, can I, you know, kind of get your opinion as to where we're going, uh, as a, as an industry with Rosé? I mean, do we see more and more producers trying to do it? Are you increasing your Rosé, uh, you know, program? <laughs> uh, definitely. You see a lot more Rosés out there, um, you know, and them getting better and better every day. I think as we're finding, um, you know, finding the right varieties that are suited for Texas and utilizing them properly, both in the cellar and in the vineyard. Um, you see these more like rosés. Tatum is a great example of this. Like my hat's off to Josh Ritzy. He does a wonderful, wonderful job. Uh, but I think, yeah, we definitely upped our production this year, uh, making two different uh, rosés, one a, a single vineyard from Par Vineyards and then also a High Plains uh, blend as well. So Very cool. And, and, you know, Doug, do you see really everybody going, keeping on the Morved track, or uh, do you see other, you know, other varieties and, and regions kind of coming online with, with rosé? Uh, you know, for our, for our wines, Morvedra and, and Sonso are primarily the two. Well, we're, we're going to start making a Tenacal rosé too, but that's another another story. But um, I would say, you know, given the wide range of varieties that we have planted in, in Central Texas and the High Plains, you know, it, I've, I've had good Sangiovese rosé. Yeah. I've had uh, good rosé from several different varieties, um, Merlot, even Merlot. So, you yeah. know, uh, I think that as the industry grows, the, that list of varieties will kind of skew towards things that are working better for the farmer. Yeah. But right now, you know, you just look at what the wineries have available to them, and some of them are making, I think, really drinkable rosés out of a, a wide range of varieties. Right on, right on. Julia, do you have any final thoughts? I mean, um, anything that you're super excited about to see where, where things are going, or you're just excited that folks are enjoying rosé out on the patio? I'm super excited to be able to see that Texas rosé in blind uh, settings can not only be as good as all the international rosés out there, but be our favorite, and we right. had no idea that it was Texas-made. So I think it's really exciting to see that Texas wines are now can openly compete with the rosé market internationally. Right. So yeah, yeah, I, I I I dig on that. Yeah, and John, so you were pretty you were pretty pretty firm on the the liking the old world uh, the the Cote de Provence. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. You get those uh, earthy flavors right up front. It, kind of leads you in that direction for sure. But. Yeah, yeah. 
Very good. Can and and um, do you see? I, I, you know, I, we have just a few more minutes left, but I, I want to have you maybe touch on because you're so ingrained in the restaurant community. Kind of just talk about what we're seeing as a, uh, you know, what's going on in the restaurant world because there's so many openings, there's so many closings, there's there's just this boom. What's going on? Well, it's a living, breathing thing for sure, in the circle right. of life, just like wine, is, yeah, uh, <laughs> is, is ongoing, uh, totally, totally. So, uh, with all of our new people moving in and they're, you know, they're not showing any signs of slowing down. They have uh, different wants and needs and right. uh, so many new things are opening. And unfortunately some things are closing to make way for the new things. And right. uh, it's just trying to keep ahead of it is, uh, what's, is, is, a, is, a, is a big task. What's one of your most anticipated restaurant openings that, that is coming online in the next month or so, a couple months or whenever? Um, Eberly is coming on. Um, they're going to be on South Lamar just down from Uchi. Uh, that's uh, John Scott, owner of uh, Stubbs. Okay. Um, it's going to be a, like an all-day coffee bar turned into a nicer place at night. He'll have a private club in the back. And Interesting. Very cool. Big old patio on top. Um, it's going to yeah. be, be a cool spot. Cool. Hey, guys, um, we are just about out of time. I wanted to thank you one last time for being on. I want to fo- thank everybody for listening out there, um, for, for listening and tuning in to, to Co-op Radio. Um, guys, Lewis Wines, what's your, uh, what's your website if people want more information on events? and You, you did a, an event last night, right, or something like that? Uh, lewiswines.com uh, yeah we had a we had a dinner at Daitue last night that I thought was was excellent yeah yeah oh, very cool stuff so lewiswines.com um, and, and also if I can say one more time sure. the, the Texas Wine Re- Revolution yes. on July 10th uh, will be a, a rosé festival focused on only Texas rosés out in the hill country and uh, there's a, a dedicated website to that as well I think right yes sir I, I believe it's texaswinerevolution.com texaswinerevolution.com really exciting stuff uh, thank you so much for tuning in my name is Mark Rayshop it's another bottle down and it's co-op radio so um, this was wonderful fun and uh, we'll see you next week enjoy plenty of wine and uh, enjoy your loved ones and uh, and tons of good food and pairings and uh, we'll see you next week.